Hey, Blenders, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about Daniel Craig's movie possibly going to streaming. Tom Holland has big Spider-Man 3 news and a new actor playing Moon Knight. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 141 of Real Blend, a podcast that is filmed on location at the Sherman Oaks Galleria Mall. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cineplan. I understood that reference. <laughs> Thank you very much. On this week's show, should Daniel Craig, should his final James Bond movie uh, go to a streaming service? We're going to have that conversation. And I know that one of us feels very strongly about that not happening. Tom Holland comes around, not to the show, but uh, just the internet in general, to share some really big Spider-Man 3 news. And we might have a new Moon Knight on Marvel's uh, Disney Plus television show. Big time casting. Um, before we get to that, I'm going to introduce the guys. I'm going to start with Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Hi, Sean. How are you doing today? And uh, I hope you've had a Hubie, Hubie Monday. Quick, <laughs> give me one movie... Give me one movie that is filmed at the Sherman Oaks Gallery Jake's Mall. Uh, Chopping Mall. Yes, correct. <laughs> Thank you very much. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Tell me another film that is filmed at the Sherman Oaks Gallery Mall. I don't know. What, Back to the Future? No. Wait, let me Commando. Get oh, Commando. Oh, Commando is a good one. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, also filmed at the Sherman Oaks Gallery Mall. And there was one other one, too. And to, uh, by the way, to out. give some uh, uh, some <laughs> ideas of what we're referring to here, in last week's episode, yeah. Sean chose a movie called Chopping Blend for... No, uh, Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall for our, our blend game last week. And it turns out that the mall used in that movie is the same mall that was used for Commando, which is one of our favorite action scenes and movies of all time when Arnold lifts that telephone booth up <laughs> in the mall and just destroys it. So that's what he's referring to, just to give some context. So go to the uh, IMDb for Sh the Sherman Oaks Gallery Mall and check and see what else has been filmed there because it's it's legendary. I almost feel like I was, we should I was pretty shocked by that because obviously I wasn't in last week's episode. And uh, so I listened to it and I was a, I was a little shocked by his pick by your my, pick, yeah. Sean. By my pick? Yeah. Have you seen Chopping Mall? It is <laughs> a sci-fi But I've seen film. every other <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, okay, you're telling like if I come to you on your deathbed. Yes. And say, you're telling me Chopping Mall is better than Alien. No, no, no. It's First off, it's not best. Yeah. It's favorite. Okay, you're okay, then let me rephrase. You're telling me you like Chopping Mall better than Alien. I, no, because if you listen to the show properly, I said, <laughs> I'm choosing this because I, everyone enjoyed my Night of the Creeps 
uh, recommendation because sure. it was off the charts, you know, different. And I tuned people onto a movie that they. So is that, heard is that like a new bit that we're gonna have to put up with? You well, just pick no. random ass movies. To- <laughs> no, I have a pretty mainstream pick for a Halloween movie blend, which we're gonna be playing later on in the show. Jake, do you so. remember that time that Sean said Darren Aronofsky is the greatest director of all time? <laughs> <laughs> I do remember, do remember that? that. I did say that. I did say that. Now, I, I, why did I say that? Because Sean's just trying to spice. Dude, it's like three, you up. can't go back on it now. It's only it's only been three weeks. <laughs> you know what was really funny too? Um, somewhat recently, like like two weeks ago, Darren Aronofsky got the entire cast of Requiem for a Dream together yep. for a uh, sit down with like MoMA. It was one of the top film yeah. conversations and i listened to it for about 15 or 20 minutes and in the listening to it i was like i i told i said that this guy is the greatest director of all like the greatest working director i'm gonna really enjoy this and like after 15 minutes i was like i've heard enough <laughs> i've heard enough <laughs> i clicked away from the youtube <laughs> i felt really bad i felt like i betrayed him <laughs> and i went and put on a spielberg movie <laughs> you betray you betrayed yourself <laughs> you, you hear him jake he said he went and put on a spielberg yeah. movie yeah. i put on yeah. hook and I watched Hook hey, instead. I love Hook. Housekeeping. I if you Hook. are watching us on YouTube, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Please head down, uh, give us a like and a subscribe so that you can keep up with all the new posts that we put here for your uh, for the audio listeners. If you're listening to us where you get all your podcast needs served, check the show notes for more information on the two YouTube channels that are dedicated to Real Blend and come on over and give us a watch. Uh, let's get to our weekly poll. This is the, I want to leave a little bit of time for this conversation because I think this one's going to be worth talking about. We put up a poll on Friday that said, should MGM sell Daniel Craig's No Time to Die to a streaming service? And this stemmed from, uh, there there were rumors per se, I don't know how much we, how much weight they hold, but there were rumors going around that there were some bids put in to MGM uh, to host the rights to No Time to Die, and you heard numbers being thrown around of, I heard, $600 million. That's what I heard. Which is, I mean, that sounds insane, um, but we can get into the discussion in a minute. Let's first get to the yes or no. So we put it to the to the real blenders, to the blenders, and uh, asked whether it should be sold. Not whether it's going to be, but whether it should be. So Jake, which one do you think won yes or no? I think no won, but I think... Not by as much as I would have liked it to. So no got 61% and yes got 39%. That's that's closer than I would have thought. So pretty close. Yeah. Now this stems a little bit from, we had this conversation last week, Jake, and you probably heard it if you listened to the show, where you we're now almost to the point where when you hear that a new movie is uh, coming or available, you immediately start to think about when can I stream it sort of thing. And it came from like, we were talking about Kid Detective and we're trying to tell people, if you feel safe enough to go to the theater, check this out. It's a really great movie. That should uh, have been a streaming movie. It should have been a streaming movie. But with No Time to Die, I voted yes. I honestly did vote yes. And it, it just Sean. feels... I know. I know. Listen, on, I'm not saying that seeing it in a theater isn't the you best know way to see it. You know direct this movie, right? But I also think... <laughs> that it's time for movies to start to dominate the conversation again. And one way to do that is to get the blockbusters out to give people things to talk about. Not that I'll, one. Put put one out no one cares about, like Black Widow. <laughs> but then that's not going to generate the conversation. Oh, you know, like, first no, off, Black Widow, Black Widow would be a good... Uh, in, in all honesty, I think Black Widow would be a good test. Um, I, I think Bond... And this, this all comes down to uh, how you consume media, right? Like, I, I'm very 
into how a film is shot and then how I how I watch it. So I know that Kerry Fukunaga shot IMAX film, so I know I want to see this on the biggest IMAX screen possible. Black Widow, I'm sure, has IMAX elements. I don't believe was shot with actual IMAX cameras. I could be wrong. Um, but it's, it it's not your typical Nolan IMAX camera. If it was digital, it might have been, but I don't believe it was. Um, so I guess for my personal opinion i make that decision based on purely on how it was shot i mean i just know for i want to see no time to die in a theater black widow is the one of the two that i would actually be uh i would actually have an easier time making the decision to watch not that it's a lesser film i'm looking forward to both of them i just talk about it from how it was shot and how it's going to be immersed as an audience Mm -hmm. member so uh, i i think the 600 million dollar thing is absolutely ridiculous i mean what a insane i mean we saw Coming to America 2 was sold for $125 million to Amazon, which is a yep. lot of money. I, I I would imagine the budget of that film is well below 50. I, I have no idea what a budget like that on that film would be. I mean, I, I would guess somewhere. The cast that. would probably cost more than right. anything. I, I, I'm with Jake. I think they probably, you know, you probably give Eddie Murphy, I, again, I don't know, but 20 million probably to come back for a I, role I think like the, that. I think short of The Rock, I think I think that the $20 million days oh, yeah. for actors are done. But to have Eddie Murphy come back, what do you, I mean, that's, that's got to be a big payday, I would well, imagine. We don't know yet what these streaming services, how they are benefiting from these sales. And we're going to get to talk about this uh film in a little bit later in the show but like borat too like did that do really well for amazon how do we even know what means really well the the numbers are so uh hidden so that we don't know what the metrics relate to the weird thing about the movie you're referring to borat these services are interesting right so when palm spring goes to hulu or borat goes to amazon or witches goes to hbo max aside from the idea of how many people clicked on it and watched it it's a strange it's a strange thing numerically to figure out how successful it was. Now, if you get these VOD downloads like a movie this week, like after we, we collided, which is like a, a film that Lauren loves. It was like one of the top movies on, on, on the charts for downloads. You can that's a metric you can actually see. You can understand people sure. clicked on it. People mm-hmm. bought it. But you're right. It's like I was thinking about that this morning when I was thinking about Borat. I'm like and the weird part about these streaming services is the movie comes out and then a weekend later I feel like it's kind of like gone. Like Trial of the Chicago 7 came out. Okay. And now it's kind of gone. Or like Witches came out and it'll be gone in like a week. And then like Palm Springs was gone in a week. And not gone in the sense that, but it is weird. It's too That's short. why I think TV shows are rolling back to, and I'm happy about this, the weekly week. episodic release, like which I am all about. Yeah. The Boys, Raised by Wolves did it. So, so much so that like, yeah, when, when the uh, Raised by Wolves, which you guys know I'm a big fan of, when the finale was like about to come out. You were excited. I found myself excited. Like, oh my God, like three days into the finale, as opposed to... Yeah. If it had all been out, I would have been done with it five weeks prior and I would think, have forgotten about it already. I think this hurt Bly Manor a little bit. 100%. I think Bly Manor, no one, yeah, no one's talking about it anymore. It dropped and no one caught up with it immediately because it was right in the middle of a ton of stuff happening. Let yeah. me go back to Bond for one second. Um, MGM might need the money. Do we ever think about that? Like MGM yeah. isn't this powerhouse and it's, studio. And that's pure profit. $600 million is pure as opposed to if it had made a billion dollars worldwide – they may not have seen six hundred million dollars of that. So a they need they might need the money in this um, financial the fiscal year, right? Like they could need that sale in order to infuse that. Doesn't MGM Some of the basically that also bank factor- themselves on Bond anyways? Like Bond is their yeah, it's their only franchise. It's their only franchise. Yes, yeah. it's legitimately it. Um, and Creed, I think they have Creed also. Yeah, which because they mentioned in a story that like Michael B. Jordan is going to direct Creed three. Like who knew that was even going to happen? Um, but if you also talk about like. Say they were to put No Time to Die onto a streaming service in November, 
right? Then they have finalized the Daniel Craig era of James Bond. And then you're talking about by early next year, they could have um, DVD box sets of Daniel Craig's full run Mm. as James Bond. And who doesn't want to pick that up, right? Like these are other revenue streams that they're probably factoring in by hurrying up and getting this movie in front of audiences. Because A, they don't know what things are going to look like in April when they come around. Are they are they um, taking a gamble, you know, by still yeah. holding on to theatrical? And believe me, I'm with you guys. I'd, I would prefer to see in a theater, of course. But there's so much uncertainty. I just uh, if, I, if someone offered I, me $600 million, I think I'd be like, take it. Honestly, I, th- I, I think, think I'd be like, take if it. If it were, I don't want to say just another James Bond movie, but if it were like... If there were, if this weren't the last Daniel Craig Bond movie, like yeah. I think I'd be a little bit more open. Yeah, if it were, you know, or even like Sky, none of us knew how good Skyfall was going to be. Even if it were Skyfall or Quantum of Solace, then I think I'd be a little bit more like, oh, you know, okay, yeah, sure, I get it. But I think there's something about this being the end of an era. It's the end of sort of the Bond era like when i really got like like I, the pierce brosnan movies like were fun when i was a kid but like these were the bond movies that came out when i was able to appreciate bond movies and now that it's ending it just sort of feels like a weird note and also too you know i've talked about one of the things i loved about the the daniel craig bond movies is that it's like a through line it's an actual serial mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. um as opposed to sort of episodic and because it's like the end of a story which i very much feel it's going to be treated that way it's not just the last episode he's going to do. Uh, I, I just, there's something that's the, the sentimental factor of me uh, doesn't want to see it go to streaming. Well, I, I feel, I feel like I want to see it done. Right. Well, also like Fukunaga, I, I, I wonder how much um, pull he has. Cause he's not Nolan. Right. So he, 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 he I don't comes, think he has any, he comes pull, from, dude. but I, but here's why I, I say that. I mean, you, so James Bond, these films, some of them have been shot digitally over the years Fukunaga actually got this shot on 35 and 65 mil IMAX. I mean, I, I I have a feeling that he has more pull than we think. And I, I, and I, I, but I wonder. I think IMAX has pull and I think maybe their contractual obligations to IMAX has pull, but I mean, Zemeckis just lost a movie to streaming. Like true. That's, but I, but I, but I also feel like with bond and the way it's been shot, you, the IMAX thing is interesting to me because it was designed for a large theatrical experience. So, but, but again, the uncertainty of it is very interesting to me. I just, I have a feeling that Fukunaga might have a little more pull than we think here with this. I don't know. I have no, no, no. Maybe it could be wrong. In terms of this movie, they know what they have. Like it's cut, it's done. So they could, this could also be a vote of confidence of them saying, when we put this into theaters, it's going to drive audiences, you know, like, because they might be factoring in the the when we put it onto streaming, it's it's a, a conversation point for a week and then it's gone. Maybe they know that it's strong. Maybe they know that it really works. Quick question: If yeah. Tenet didn't come out and Bond came out in its place, how would it have mm-hmm. done in the U.S.? Much better. Do you think we so yeah. so so uh, Tenet just crossed like around fifty million? Didn't do well here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Did a ton overseas. Uh, so you look at opening weekend. If you put Bond in that same spot. Limited capacity, no New York, no Los Angeles, no San Francisco, same date yeah. as Tenant. How much better did it do? I don't think it would I don't think it would double the numbers, but I think it would lure more people who were yeah. who were not willing to give it a shot mm. um, sure. for Tenant. I think more people sure. there are other people who were more casual about it that would have given it a shot. Interesting. Uh, I know with our next guest, even though we haven't done the interview yet, that I will be talking to him about uh Bond music because I feel like he is teed up to do uh, the music for a Bond film at some point. 
Uh, and that's wait, Michael wait, Giacchino. Sean. I need you to tell Michael me who Giacchino. the guest is because I am lost. His name is <laughs> oh gosh, that is that is one impossible mission that you just laid out in front of me, Jake. Because now I have to make a transition to our guest on this week's Real Blend, legendary Oscar-winning composer Michael Giacchino. Hello, hey, hey. Oh, there he is, Michael. Great Giacchino. backdrop. What? Uh, well, that's my office. <laughs> wow. Oh my god! It looks like a Lord of the set of the Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know I why know. people say that. They're like, "Where are you in some sort of Harry Potter bar?" <laughs> I thought you were like in Frodo's like a, like a Hobbit hole or something. That's what it looks like there. It looks awesome. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's badass. Yeah, that's just the office. So, can you imagine the props that Michael Chikino probably has? Uh, I the memorabilia. There's a few back there. <laughs> Michael, I don't know if you remember me, but years ago I used to have a radio show. You called into my show from the Land of the Lost soundstage. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, when when the Trek <laughs> came Brothers. out. Yeah, and then I yep. ran into you at Endgame last year, and we had like we nerded out about that a little bit. That was kind of cool. So it's good to talk to you again. Thank you Back so much for joining. People were allowed yeah. to be together. Yeah, I'm happy yeah. to do it. Well, first of all, Michael Chikino, it's an absolute honor to have you on the Real Blend podcast. It truly is. Um, we are massive fans of your music. Um, we know that you're here to promote this new record. It's your first non-soundtrack uh, album you've done, from what I understand. And this is a really yeah. cool thing because it actually has a narrative structure to it. There's a storyline to it. Um, but yep. I guess I'll just open up with a basic process question in the difference of approaching an album like this that is non-soundtrack that will not necessarily have maybe the visual cues a movie will give you when you see your music attached to it if someone's listening to it just standardly without any type of visual element and the process of writing for a non-soundtrack versus writing for a movie or or a series. Well, I mean, the big difference is I don't have to turn to anyone and say, so what do you think? You like that? <laughs> I, I could just be like, you know... I pull up a mirror and just be like, you like that? Yeah, I like it. All right, we're, we're moving on. I do you that know, every uh, day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that 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 was a huge difference, you know, in the fact that because you know filmmaking that's a massive collaborative art form, right? So you're 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 just one part of a giant puzzle, and uh, and that's one of the reasons I love it because I get to interact with all of the other art forms on the planet, and it's a uh, and it's great. Uh, but sometimes it's just nice to go, you know, when I was a kid, I would just spend a lot of time in the basement making stop motion movies. Yeah. And I was just doing it is myself. It was just for fun. You know, I really enjoyed doing it. So it was nice to get back to a thing that I was just doing for that reason alone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I started writing it without even thinking about what was going to happen with it. It was an idea I had for many years, but sort of after writing about three or four pieces i just you know i emailed mondo was like hey you guys want to do this yeah <laughs> you know? and they were like sure let's do it <laughs> and i was like okay we'll do it you know um but it was you know again it's 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 a weird mishmash of everything i loved growing up from sci-fi old radio dramas like x minus one i don't know if you've ever heard of that but it's an amazing uh you know old radio drama and uh star trek of course and 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 the music of people like, you know, Martin Denny and Les Baxter and Esquivel, all of this, you know, uh, crazy stuff. I thought that'd be fun to throw together and, and see what happens. You know, can you expand on but, the Mondo thing real fast? Because you mentioned the Mondo collaboration. I think I think it's interesting for the for listeners to understand. Yeah, that. no, cool. for sure. I mean, look, I'm a huge fan of Mondo, always have been. Um, and they've been uh, great partners, too. They've released many of my soundtracks uh, over the years. And there it is. There it is. There it is. Free record set recorded live in Ireland. Um, the uh, and so I thought I didn't know what their response was going to be. I literally just emailed them and said, "Look, here's this crazy idea I have. 
I want to do it. I want it to, to be a story. I want there to be narration. I want there to be this style of music that I'm in love with. And I want, uh, you know, and, and they, they just kept saying, yes, 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 yes. And what else do you want to do? And I'm like, well, there is a volume two I would like to do. Okay, we'll do that too. And I said, well, then there's this other sort of four record thing, four record set in between these two releases that I thought would be fun. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So I just was like, you know, great you know okay, but I, hold I, on I, kids i want to let people know this isn't normally how it happens in the industry no this is not <laughs> normally how it no it is definitely not normally happen if, if i had emailed them you know 20 years ago they would have never answered my email you know my, but i you know to be fair i spent many years you know um doing a lot of things which have which have introduced me to so many great people over the over time um and I know that, you know, I see filmmakers, I work with directors and filmmakers and writers who are writing things that they want to do. They want to, you know, and I'm just, I always have to reserve a bit of that for myself as well, because as much as I love scoring films and I do love it, I, uh, you know, came into this whole world mainly as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I was making movies. I went to film school. I did all of those things. So, you know, I do miss that, that process of creating something. So when I get to do it, I, I you know latch on hard and do it as you know as much as I can in it because at the times thank god look I'm not you know not thank god those are wrong words to say but if there's any silver lining of this damn you know mess that is happening in the world today it is the fact that it is you know kind of forced a time period on me to Mm. to figure out something different to do yeah so one of the first things we ask most people and we didn't do it with you is how are you staying creative during this period um here's your answer well here's your answer (laughs) well when it first started though when it first started i thought okay uh we're going to be home for a while i'm just going to work on the themes that i know i have to do for these movies that i have coming up you know and i thought i would so about a week into that i was working on some stuff for jurassic and i was working on some stuff for you know batman and whatever and and i thought just just batman I was like, jurassic well, you know I, well, those things I thought, like, never heard of them never heard of I was them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah there's little small independent projects that are uh i'm really trying to support uh, out there in the world um but then i just thought like what am i doing like these films keep getting pushed into next year the year after i'm like i have this rare opportunity to do something that i want to do so i just sort of like i Pushed every, put everything aside and just dove into this. Awesome. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was, you know, would I like it, the whole COVID thing to go away? Yes, I would. That would be really wonderful. But, um, you know, still waiting. Still yeah, waiting. for sure. For sure. And Michael, they were just shooting uh, the Batman here in Chicago. So I've been walking around kind of yeah. wondering what your sound was going to be like. But, you know, going back to the album, obviously, obviously it's not attached to any particular film, but there is a narrative. There's a storyline to it. So I'm sort of curious did you do you have sort of a a mental movie in your head? Have you kind of directed any kind of images in your mind? Like, do you sort of know yeah. what it would look like? And have you attached any actors to it by any chance? <laughs> well, yes. the The answer to the question it's it, yes. I definitely have an image in my head of what I would want it to be. How to you know? Ultimately, I think what would be fun is to animate the entire thing. You know, the entire album. You know, we did a small short teaser yeah for mondo uh, that was cool the, yeah the animated yeah. teaser and that's like essentially a window into what i'm thinking but um what i would love to do is do the entire album and then perform oh, it live yes with that at places like you know like at music festivals yeah. kind of like, like a heavy metal kind of thing 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hollywood yeah. Bowl or something like that. that'd be cool. Yeah. I, I would go whatever. To that. Yeah. You know, just something That's that awesome. just sort of mixes all of those things together, and not the normal, not in the normal way that we would go and do Star Trek or or any movie that's already existing. It's a, it's about putting up there something there that's, that's new. And that's how you see it. Mm-hmm. You see it in that mm-hmm. format. You know, you go to uh, Bonnaroo or Glastonbury, or you go to Hollywood Bowl, or whatever. That's how you experience it. I think that would be really fun. Is there a particular do. style of artist or studios, particular type of animation that you think would best suit what you have in your head? Well, I think there's a lot of influence. If you, if you, if you check out the teaser that's there, there's it's a great. lot of anime, yeah. a lot of anime mm-hmm. influence in it. And I, you know, I, growing up with, you know, Speed Racer and, and, um, and things like that, that came out of Japan at the time in the seventies that were being made in the sixties. I, I, I love that. I love that style so much. And I think that, you know, that sort of very graphic, simple, simple, uh, but super strong composition. Like to me, that's, that's what it would be. I would love that. My, you know, I, I see it as a very different thing than just what most animated films are today. Yeah, this is what and, I, and again, it's not your normal animated film. It would be an experience, something you go to experience the whole. You know, yeah, just sit back and watch and listen. It's not you know asking anything of you other than to do that. This is when I get to tell you my interpretation when I listen to it, um, okay, which is going to be wildly it. different from pitch. what you have right now. Um, I texted a friend of mine who's a All huge puppets. fan of yours who is also listening to it. Uh, at the same time and i said holy shit he's doing his james bond like all i heard was connery era 60s james bond with a swagger to it and I'm, that's funny i'm very curious if you've ever uh flirted with the idea of tackling uh 007 or that universe no not i actually haven't and it's one of those things you know i feel like the things that i have tackled are the things that i would were on always on my list and after doing the incredibles i felt like that's my bond right there. You, you know, that's, that's my bond. And, and I don't know that visiting it in some other form or way is I can add anything more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to that. And especially even on, onto Incredibles two, which was even more sort of what I would probably do with one of those films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I, I've done yeah. it, you know, yeah, for sure. you know, and, and, and would I do it again for the Incredibles? Who knows? I mean, who knows if another one will ever get made, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, in that world, um, I, I like it. But I, 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 I'm happy to go see James Bond movies. I love going to watch them. Uh, but I don't feel the need uh, to, to, to work on it at the moment, you know. Very interesting. I guess never say never. Ha, ha. Tell Brad Bird we would watch uh, uh, an Incredibles 3 uh, at any, any time. We would yes. be honored to see that. But, you know, uh, Michael, we all had a very big geek out moment when that Batman trailer dropped. Um, yes. And we got to hear your score mashed up with Nirvana's Something in the Way, which was a yeah. huge thing. I mean, as a 90s kid to hear that. And I was I just wanted to know how that all came together. That particular trailer. Was that song a launching pad initially for your score? And no, like, how, not how, did at that, all. Like, how did that all happen? I wrote the theme for Batman way back, probably when I was working on. What would it have been the. I think the second Spider-Man movie around that time. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, because I, look, Matt and I are good friends. We talk a lot. And and so as you would with your friends when you're making stuff, you talk about how cool it would be if we did this. What if we did that? And what are we thinking? And it was never sort of in a an official way that we were like discussing what should the music be. I just had an idea one day and I was like, oh, the, this, you know, in in knowing the character that Matt is bringing to the screen, I just thought, 
this to me feels like what would Batman, like if I were Batman, if I were Matt Reeves's Batman, what would be going through my head as I stood up on top of some building and just over, looked at the city? And I thought, yeah, this is what would be going through my head. And <laughs> so I, I wrote that, sent it to Matt, and he really loved it. And, um, and then we had a chance to record a bunch of it. Uh, when I was in London at one point, we did that. And uh, for no other reason than to maybe use it for trailers, maybe use it for, I know Matt, and most importantly, just wanted it to be able to edit with. Hmm. So uh, so he would have, you know, and of course, I wrote like 40 minutes or so of music, none of which to anything pictorially. It was just <laughs> sort of like, well, here's what I'm thinking, you know, and wow. so who knows how much will last and how much we'll look at later and go, well, it doesn't fit as well as we thought and all of that. But that particular very simple main theme, you know, that'll be there. And I think we just got lucky when it came around time to do the trailer. <laughs> we got really lucky that it just, it lied in perfectly against that song, you know, and wow. I, uh, that was one of those things. And they sent it to me and I, they were like, should we fill it in more? Should we do? I'm just like, I don't know. It sounds pretty great the way it is <laughs> and the way that it's just sort of layered in. And we, we gave them a few things to add into it, but not much at all. I think, you know, they did a really good job with that trailer. It was, and it was a great way of saying, you know, here's your next Batman. You know, I mean, I, I'm always amazed at people that are like, well, Ben Affleck better be in it or, or, you know, like you better use the Danny Elfman theme. And like, I, I mean, did, did when guys were doing, comic books back in the day were people writing in when they would do like a new variant version of something and yell at them about why didn't he have the that same design from the last series on his Probably. Know. you know i'm like what is going on like i one of the things i love about comic books is the fact that you can reinvent them and create new versions of that character you know right. these variants i love that and i feel like that's all we do with the movies as well you know everyone gets their shot to do their variants and uh the anger is always shocking. I, I'm just like, I know. what is going yeah. on? I don't know. Maybe they need hobbies or something. We try to celebrate more than get upset about stuff. That's what our show <laughs> yeah, is no, about. I, I agree. I, well, I feel like that's kind of like as a kid, that's what we were all about. We were like so excited when something new, even if it was, you know, based on something we had seen already or I don't know. Michael, when you heard Pattinson say I'm vengeance, did that geek uh -huh. you out? Did that geek you out? Like that, that was like one of the coolest, like for us as fans, I, but as someone yeah. who's writing music for the film and is friendly with Matt Reeves, like, do you still nerd out when you see a scene like that? Oh yeah. We, we get nerdy about it. We love it so much. And you know, I think Matt and I early on nerding out about sort of the designs of the cars and all of these things. I mean, that he shared with me way early in the process. Um, I think, you know, it's, fascinating to see that stuff and and it, you know because it is it's like again the way that we always looked at it we, you know when I talked to JJ about Star Trek and we talk about these things it's like this is our Star Trek this is our Star Trek you know you know we're I don't think the words are this is Star Trek it's literally this is our Star Trek yeah, yeah. you know love it or hate it this is what we would do with it you know um and I feel like the same is with Matt when we're working on things same with Planet of the Apes you know because I was a huge Planet of the Apes fan um, as a kid, like massive Planet of the Apes fan, huge. Um, so when I, when Matt sent me, the day he told me about it, I was one of the first people he called because he, mm. like me, was also obsessed with <laughs> Planet of the Apes. Um, and he just sent me a picture of Caesar on the phone and I just knew immediately, like, I was like, wait, what? We get to do this? And he was like, yep. And he was like, you know, so, so for me, yeah, that was, 
you know, I used to walk around the house like uh, Cornelius, you know, uh, <laughs> that's how obsessed I was out of the apes. I, I loved it. And, uh, you know, even I loved, you know, the TV show, which I know isn't, you know, held up to the same standards as, as the other things, but I, uh, I did, I just, anything you could get at the time, you know, it was just like, Play the apes on TV? Great, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> my son is going great. through the Simpsons. My son is going through the Simpsons for the very first time, and we got to the oh, wow. the Doctor Zayas episode. <laughs> oh, that's he can talk. He can talk. He can talk. <laughs> How old is he? He's twelve. Old, He's twelve, and oh, now it's on. Great. It's on Disney Plus. He came to me the oh, other day. Hilarious. He was looking for something to watch, and he said, "Would I like the Simpsons?" And I was of course you would, and I'm going to watch it with you. <laughs> Sit down. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, my friend David would would be happy to hear that. David Silverman, who is. Uh, you know, has been on The Simpsons since day one. Oh my God. Um, one of the guys responsible for the actual look at the characters and how they, you know, translated from what they were into the animated show. So, uh, well, I opened up Disney Plus and I said, there are 32 seasons <laughs> of this show now. I had no yeah. idea yeah. it had been going that long. Wow. It's insane. It's insane. Uh, Michael, I am, I think, a safe word to use is, and, and the guys can back me up on this, <laughs> obsessed with Lost. Yep. It is okay. my single favorite show of all time. Um, and, you know, I've got my buddy Chase bought me this on vinyl, which plays on a constant loop. And I genuinely believe that the the piece moving on uh, from the finale is not just in pop culture, but one of the greatest, most beautiful, moving pieces of music ever written. Um, oh, I honestly, I, I don't even need the visuals. I can just listen to it and I just start ugly crying. Um, so uh, I'm just sort of curious, whenever you were tasked with writing a piece of music that doesn't just end a two-hour movie, but ends a six-year-long story, an epic six-year-long story. Where do you go to find the right notes, the right theme, the right feel to wrap up not just an episode or a season, but an entire series? It's, you know it Lost was probably one of my favorite things I got to be a part of. I, I love that show. I have such, I have lifelong friends from that show. I have, um, you know, everything about that show is what I hope life is. Mm. You know, uh, I love the idea that there's a group of people that you go through this experience with, and then you search each other out afterwards as well. And I mean, there's something incredibly beautiful about that. Um, so the show for me, the music always came from just the emotional impact it made on me. It was never, I never had to search for anything. I never had to try and figure things out. It was about just how I was reacting to what was in front of me, you know, um, because it's a very emotional show. And if you, um, you know, take it at face value, you really get a, an experience unlike any other, I think, on television, you know, and I, um, and the challenge, you know, the, the show challenged you to care about, you know, one moment it's asking you to dislike someone. And then in the very next moment, you're yeah. like saying, wait, I actually, wait, I think I like this mm -hmm. person, you know, and then it might even flip back for a moment, but then you, you know, it's about looking at people in different ways other than just what's in front of you. You know, people are much deeper than what, what, what you see in front of you. And the show is really about how do you uh, look at the people around you and how do you value them? Um, and can you push beyond what you initially think to find out something more and go deeper into a relationship with uh, another human? So the music was just always a reflection of how I was feeling hmm. when I was either watching that particular episode or, or I never read the scripts. I, I never, uh, um, hmm. we never had spotting sessions. We never talked about 
you know, maybe twice in the six years, Damon would call me up. He goes, okay, there's an episode coming up. And I'm like, Damon. And he goes, I know you don't want to know what's happening. I know you don't want to know anything. He goes, but I just Is that why you didn't read the scripts or it wasn't because you were trying to keep it secret? You didn't want to give secrets away in your music. Well, yeah, because I feel like if I knew what was happening, I might, you know, uh, unintentionally, yeah. I wouldn't do as good a job scoring the show, I think, if I knew what was happening. That's you know? so crazy. Yeah. So he would call me up and go like, okay, but there's this one thing we should talk about, but I don't know how to, how to, do, and it would turn into this weird conversation. In the end, he'd just be like, you know what, forget it. Don't worry about it. Just, <laughs> just, just watch the show. And we'll, if you have any questions, call me. Um, but we, it was the kind of thing where the, they would just send me the episode and I would do whatever I thought was right for that particular thing. And we'd go and record it with the orchestra and then we're on to the next episode. And it was like week after week. It's not like, you know, now you get a, a series that is eight episodes and that's it. You know? These are 24 and, episode seasons. Yeah. 24 episode seasons. I'm and working my way through it right now. Oh, so we have, a never seen it. we have a challenge in place. Uh, we had a bet going at one point. I forget what it was. And Kevin ended up having to watch all of lost oh and jake had to catch up with uh better call saul that's what it was right but none of <laughs> so us he gets realized 12 episodes. that better call saul <laughs> mm-hmm. was so much yeah. shorter than lost. yes exactly. the entirety of better call saul is less than two seasons the first two seasons of lost <laughs> yeah well you know the 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 brits they've done that for years they've always done these sort of limited season things and uh it took us americans a long time to catch on to how that can make the experience better right. and i know that damon carlton were begging ABC to let them go to like shorter seasons, you know, in order to make the show better because it's a very difficult show to write. Any show is hard to go right off the bat anyway, but a show like Lost was even more difficult. And so, you know, but there was this paradigm in place. No, 24, that's what we do. It's all tied into all kinds of economic nonsense. And, Hmm. uh, (laughs) but you notice like the last couple seasons were shorter because they, they had to negotiate that. Like they had to like, fight tooth and nail for that wow. hmm. uh, so that they because they felt like they just needed time to write and and make it as best yeah. as they could at the time they didn't too, want it to just be a machine to spit out something one of the so. very first shows that dictated its end too from what i remember yeah 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 we are going to be done yes exactly yeah. and of course as a network you don't want that that's not what you want you want your shows going on forever right. i mean you just want to you know once you once you create something that prints money that's what you want right. just keep it running i feel keep it for bad for whoever's writing the music for Grey's anatomy yeah, <laughs> well, I, I'd be curious to know if they still are writing music. Or if it's just kind of like, let's just use that old chestnut again, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know at this point. Yeah, um, Michael, I want to pick your brain about something specific, which is um, when you write a signature piece of music that's related to a character, to a hero. Um, yep. Jake is uh, playing props. I will show you that um, I have this uh, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming uh, uh-huh. on my desk, and I ask uh, Alexa, she's going to go off now to play the homecoming theme song because I adore your far from home and homecoming suite. And it's just to me, signature to the character. Um, when I look over the homecoming soundtrack, I realize you are into puns as much as we are. And your song titles are delightful. Uh, Vul- <laughs> Vulture clash and uh, bust yeah. a move and things like that. <laughs> but when a lot you- of these are, I'll just tell you real quickly. A lot of the, the puns are, uh, it's sort of, usually it's like a little contest between me and my music editors. <laughs> You know, the ones keeping track of everything and doing all the stuff. So, uh, the and Steve Davis, who did, I would say, probably the majority of those, uh, you know, we have these little contests. I, you know, I don't get to spend as much time thinking about it because <laughs> I'm writing. Right, right. So, 
uh, uh, but they, uh, Paul Applegren, who did all the ones on Planet of the Apes, and Steve Davis did the ones on Spider-Man. But, but I would say those two are probably are the biggest ones throughout the years that we've been, the three of us have been doing them. Do you, who who, who came up with Hollywood more... and Vine? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. What's I'm... that? I was just saying, who came up with Hollywood and Vine? Uh, that was Steve Davis. No, Steve Davis. Wow. That's... Yeah, Steve Davis. Do you actually spend more time? Do you find yourself? Oh, wait having... a minute. Did I do that one? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, having to spend more time on a hero's signature theme um, because you know it might be associated with a character. It might be something that has that has legs. Um, I don't consciously spend more time on it. I uh, usually when I'm going in, I, if I pick a film to work on, and it, and it really is picking a film to work on. It's not you know waiting for something to be offered. I, I'm very careful and picky, super picky about the things I do because I. Um, I can really only write music if I'm into whatever it is I'm a, I'm working on. You know, the if you look at all the films on my list, I chose them all for very specific reasons, you know. Uh, either my love of that particular character or uh, a chance to work with someone who I thought was really great. Or, you know, it's just always, there's always some reason behind it as opposed to just saying, okay, what's next? You know, that's not how I ever wanted my, my job to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for the hero stuff, it's really just about under, I mean, a- any character, any character is about understanding and putting yourself in the shoes of that character and sort of understanding how they might feel at any particular moment, you know, and how do I, how do I want, what's the, what's the, in terms of a, like a superhero thing, like what's the, um, what would I want blasting in my head as I went running from the theater at nine years old after <laughs> seeing it, you know? Yeah that kind of a thing. How would I want to interpret this? So it's such a, an emotional and a visceral sort of process. It's not uh, calculated in any way, you know? And as you notice that in the second Spider-Man, I changed the theme, his main theme. I put it in a different time signature. I slightly changed mm. it because I thought, oh, it'd be interesting if he was growing up a little bit, you know, like if what would oh. we, you know, because the first one is pretty like straightforward. Now it's, it's the same essential melody, but it's just played differently. And in the first one's in 3-4, second time you get it more in 4-4, four, because four, just to suggest that he's maturing, you know, and he is adding to his character. Colin just um, started filming. Are you going down for the third one? Uh, when you say going down to the uh, set? Well, no. no, I just mean, are you working <laughs> on the third one? Or are you involved in it? I mean, it hasn't, you know, been announced or anything yet, but, you know. <laughs> sounds pretty likely <laughs> sounds like you have ideas uh, yeah i you know i'm excited look i love working with john i love working with uh kevin and everyone at marvel they're just like the best it's it's it, it really is like being with my friends from when i was a kid when i when we're working together That's a very um, diplomatic answer, in fact <laughs> in, in fact when uh kevin i went to go see kevin one time early on before spider-man was being announced it was before the comic-con thing and uh, they, uh, I remember we were, Kevin was walking back with, I was going back to the car. He was walking with me. We were just talking and he goes, you like the old Spider-Man theme? You know, the one from the sixties. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I like it. I love it. And he's like, I had just, I was thinking, I had this weird idea. What if we, what if we recorded that theme? I was like, I always wanted to hear that with a huge orchestra. He's oh. so great. You know? And he's like, and then we could use that at Comic-Con when we announce, you know, that, that what we're doing and all of this. And I was like, 
oh yeah that sounds fun that would let's do that so that was that's how that idea came up you know i will never forget hearing that for the first time in the theater and it just (laughs) i was like these guys are they're so in tune they get it so well it is Uh, we love it and we you know i think that what the wonderful thing is when a lot of the people that work on those films are actually really dedicated to the characters and 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 everything that came before we love it it's you know as much as everyone who loves the movies where people making it do as well Mm -hmm. Michael, I know we're interviewing you and uh, it's probably common to tell you how much we love your music, but I want to tell you that there's a scene in cinema history that I think is one of the greatest cinematic moments that I've ever seen. And it involves your music. And I I, and I want to talk to you about just the the journey of how it got there. It's the opening of of Abramson's Trek um, as that sequence with Chris Hemsworth at the helm. You turn down the action and then your theme rides us through that entire sequence. It is genuinely i get the hair on my arm stand up because that theme in general is brilliant but also the way that abrams utilizes it in that scene it's 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 what emotionally drives us through it um and yeah. i and i just wanted to know what your what that what your memory of that moment was um and seeing it in that setting did you know abrams was going to turn down the action for your theme there i'm just curious like what that process was like cuz that scene is oh it's just it's just so effing good well there 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 is a story to that scene and you know usually when they're editing the movie together they use what you know temp music they put in music from wherever they whatever whatever they can find that fits from any anything doesn't matter where they get it from um i generally do not listen to temp music at all when i'm writing just because i don't want it to influence what i'm doing Mm. and the only time i will listen to it is after i've written the scene Mm. And I'm happy with what I did. I might go back and listen to, oh, let me hear what they put in the temp just to see. Because in, in that way, I can see if they if they hit something in a particular way, I go, oh, they're, they're going for a thing here. And then I can adjust what I did to do a similar thing. But I'm not then aping what was. That was mm. I'm changing my own music. So I wrote that whole scene. Out. I remember watching that for the first time and just feeling like incredibly sad about yeah. the whole thing. I just thought, you know, Again, you know, I'm always trying to put myself in that position. It's a little like being an actor where you're taking on the emotions and the feelings of these these characters and you really have to, you know, to to express that. So um, I remember in that particular scene just feeling devastated by what was happening. You know, this family being torn apart. Forget that it was, you know, Kirk or anything else. It, it, it was just on a human level. It was really um, uh, devastating. So when I went to write it that's all I could write was this really just sad sort of thing you know I'd not even think and, and that felt right for me it felt like the right thing to do so after I did I was happy with I looked I was like yeah I think this could work and I and I went back and I listened to what was in there and there was a lot of action music in there you know uh and which also I get because you know if you think about on that scene on the surface there's a lot of that but I was like and then I was like oh is this not gonna oh boy is this <laughs> Uh, not what they're thinking and that but I said you know I'm just gonna keep it I'm gonna I'm not gonna change what I did I'm gonna keep it and remember JJ came over to the house uh one day and it was um and we were in between I think I was still working out a garage in my garage uh in between houses we were fixing something anyway uh and he came into the garage and we and then he was and he he loved it and he loved it and he was like wow, can we push this even further? Can we make it even feel more like, you know, you know? So I was like, yeah, well, we could grow this section here. This could definitely grow. So we talked a little bit about that. And then, um, but essentially what you hear is what was there. And, and again, it goes back to what I was explaining earlier about the music being a reflection of how I 
felt when I watched it. And, uh, you know, every second of Lost is that. Um, but that moment in particular is, a, is like the perfect example of that, that. And that's how sort of that, that came to be. And then when we got on the stage um, and JJ was mixing, he would say, okay, take out this certain amount of sound effects and then take out this. And, and then before you know it, almost everything was taken out. Uh, and you just heard very basic things here and there, something passed by or something it was very simple. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, and a similar thing happened on Up as well when, when yeah. you know, that, that whole Married Life sequence was oh. intended to have sound effects. It was all, there was a lot of sound effects in there, the jar smashing, the car tire blowing and all of these things along with that. But I think what, once you get on the stage, you really get a sense for how it's all working. You know, Pete just said, just mute all that stuff <laughs> and let's see what happens. And, uh, and then that's how they left it, you know, and sometimes music is the, is the only and best way to, to sort of tell an emotional story. Um, And that, those are a couple examples of where it worked best. Your music is leading characters. It always is a leading character in the film. And I, and I truly mean when I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up watching movies, you know, that the scores were written that way, you know, I mean, all scores, even back to Max Steiner doing King Kong in 1933. I mean, he wrote, King Kong had a theme. And when King Kong was running around, you heard that theme and it just, and you know, it helped connect you to everything that was going on. So me growing up, listening to this style of scoring, I felt like that was the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would listen to soundtracks to movies that I had never even seen and imagine the movie in my head. (laughs) You know, also when I was a kid, you couldn't just go throw on the TV and watch whatever you wanted. If once it was out of theaters, that was it, you know? So the only way to relive that movie was by listening to the soundtrack, right. you know, and, and which I did religiously to so many movies. <laughs> All right, Michael, we appreciate your time. I'm going to cut you loose after one more question, if that's okay. We're just going to kind of wrap up with this one. Whatever um, you want to do. Yeah, one we, of the, we, we wrote so many yeah, questions yeah, for yeah, you, yeah. man. So. <laughs> you can hit them, you can... What's that? Oh, one of one of the greatest concerts I've ever been to in my entire life was seeing John Williams conduct the Chicago Symphony Orchestra right down the road here in Chicago. And there was something I noticed about whenever he walked out on stage. I think he's like pushing ninety. I think he's eighty eight now. He might have been eighty six at the time. He walked out on the stage very slowly, kind of like hunched over a little bit. You know, he's he's an older man. He was kind of walking like an older man. And when he got to his stand and he picked up his baton and he started conducting. He conducted with like the freaking energy of a teenager. He was yeah. swinging his arms and he was charging and he was moving. And he was like, it was unbelievable. Like, and did it for like an hour. It was unbelievable. And then when he was done, he put the baton down and kind of just shuffled off the stage like an 88 <laughs> year old man. So I'm just sort of curious with that idea in mind, what does conducting and writing physically do to you? Uh, it's, it's a very um, physical experience. It is. And you, there's no way to do it without sweating or working hard or getting your heart beat up because it's just it is you know physical you're constantly moving and you're if the orchestra is slowing when you want them to get quicker you're pulling them along so there's a lot of uh, stress involved during the whole process you know and, and also it's a lot of fun but the thing for me that I like about it you know I don't I don't bother conducting my own film scores because when I'm recording, I want to be with the director mm-hmm. sitting with him and oh, we can listen to it together coming through. And then I can make changes instantly. And if I notice that they are feeling a certain way about one thing or the other, we can address it. Otherwise, if I'm out on the stand, on the stand, I have to keep coming in, listen back and things get, you know, you just want to be in the room when it's being recorded. So, but concerts, I love it. It's great. I'll do that. It's fun. And that to me is a, is a great experience because it's, 
you can feel the connection going right from the orchestra through you into the audience mm. behind you. And that's a, that's a, that's a thrilling experience, you know? Um, and it's a real reminder of how important a lot of the things that we work on are to people, you know, you can get complacent and jaded and cynical about it and go oh, another superhero, this and that. But the truth of the matter is it's important to people, you know, it, it, it's, it's what, you know, um, it's the yeah. thing that saves yeah in many ways saves parts of their lives, you know, cause you have these things to, to, to escape to. And we all have those things that we love to escape to. So um, that is, you know, conducting is one of the biggest reminders of that, you know, because a lot of times what happens when I finish a film, I don't think about it anymore. Hmm. I move on from that. And I'm, I don't listen to the music anymore. I rarely watch the movie after the premiere, uh, unless like my kids are watching it for some reason or I'm forced to for some event or something. Um, I tend to just want to look forward. All right, what's next? Um, but this, this forces you to take a moment to go, Oh, you know what? This mm. is really important to people. And, and, and you can't forget that. And, and then you start remembering why it's important to you as well. So it's a really sort of self-affirming um, thing that happens. And that sharing with the audience is just a, it's just a, it's a great experience. Well, I don't think I can um, honestly say with enough sincerity, how important your music has been to all yeah. three of us. Oh, um, huge. It, we are tremendous fans and just the idea that we have you on our show is is mind-blowing to us and oh this is fun cannot Come thank on. you enough for your time michael thank you so much for coming on this episode of real blend is brought to you by marvel strike force marvel strike force is a mobile squad rpg that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like dr doom and apocalypse Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We have to thank Michael Chikino's people for uh, getting him on the phone. Obviously, his new music is fantastic, and uh, it was an honor to have him on the Roblin podcast. I want to get to the talking points for this week, and I want to ask you guys this question. Uh, depending on whatever metrics you want to use for it, 
This past weekend, uh, Borat subsequent movie film opened. Do you guys think that the film was a success for Amazon? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, whether people wanted... You had, you had to think about sort of like the indirect... Um, effect of like sort of the promotion that it got and i and i want to compare it. it's a weird comparison but you guys i'm sure have seen that viral video of the dude on the skateboard going down the road drinking oh, yeah. ocean, cranberry ocean, juice. Sp- ocean yeah. breeze like, whatever it's ocean called. Yeah. spring i think yeah yeah and so that Seems was indirectly yeah exactly that video was so good mm. for ocean springs that like they ended up buying him a truck and i think local cranberry farmers around the country <laughs> have said that like we were doing massive business because of this video and so you have to think about it like this crazy. video was such yeah. The, the uh, Borat, it was so in the conversation, especially the news conversation because of Rudy, Gili- Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. And every time someone would bring up Borat, they would say, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Right, right, so right, whether right. people clicked and pressed play or not, it was such a massive worldwide story attached to the Amazon brand. I guarantee you Amazon is incredibly happy. With, I, they probably don't. And I think a lot of people watched it, but I don't think they care how many people watched it. It was talked about yeah. worldwide. And the, and the name Amazon was talked about with it. You didn't say Borat without saying Amazon. And the president of the United States was talking about the film. I mean, yes. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know other films that have been mentioned by the by Trump over the past. It got mentioned four... in the debate, didn't it? Didn't uh, Biden bring it up in the debate? Because I know he mentioned your friend. Well, he, Rudy he said something Giuliani and then he kind of paused and kind of smiled and then proceeded, which made me wonder if like he thought about going there and yeah. then it was like, oh, no, I'm not. He, 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 like the name Borat wasn't brought up, but there's a moment where I went. He was thinking about Borat in that moment. But there, I swear to God. There, there was yeah. an interview where he was Trump was asked about it. And, and, and yeah, and on Air Force One. Right, I think. And then Cohen responded. I mean, think about that promotion right there. If the I mean, yeah. oh, thanks, yeah. he, you can't for the free that. publicity. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I mean, and then you have Rudy Giuliani tweeting about the scene and, and a four thread tweet of who's not going to watch that. I, I will yeah. never forget on the, the day the reviews for that film came out. And this was a big discussion that Sean and Gabe and I were having behind the scenes was about whether or not that sequence was a spoiler and it was already out there in the news. I had it ruined for me. Right. And mm-hmm. it became a news story. So it became more important than the film, but I had, I haven't gotten tech. I got texts from people who I haven't talked to in a long time asking me how is that scene how is borat 2 and i and it, you could jake i think you understand what i'm saying here like you sometimes get like a, a there's a vibe that happens with a film sometimes where you start feeling the momentum for it and like that the ramp up last um, week yeah. but i will say this real fast um i want to give uh sasha baron cohen credit because th- I, that film if you haven't watched any of the press for it, he didn't do a lot of press for it but the, what went into the making of that movie is astounding to me. And, I, and I, I, we've talked a lot about how that film was made, how the CPAC scene was done, how the Giuliani sequence <laughs> was done. Um, I, you know, there's a I think Seth Rogen put this out on Twitter about how this is a guy who actually puts his life at risk for art. Uh, and you go back and watch the 2006 Borat film. That's an aggressive movie. I forgot mm-hmm. how he, uh, I forgot how aggressive the 2006 Borat was. Like he's really out there. Do you remember like, like he was in some very dangerous, remember the subway sequence in 2006 one where he's like messing with people on the subway and some guys that are going to punch you in the face. Like it was legitimately mm-hmm. when he lets the chicken out, when the chicken's running yes. around. Yes. And yeah. so for, for me, <laughs> I, and, and I know I said this on Twitter, I think that Maria Bakalova deserves an Oscar nomination. She's, All right, that was my next topic. Can it win an Oscar? No. 
No? Uh, no. I don't. I, I actually have a feeling that this could get nominated for something. I don't. I, it, so the wait, get nominated or win? Oh, I don't know. If I said win. win, but let's do nominated. Okay. So what was Borat? I mean, the first one got a screenplay nomination, right? It Jake, did. I wanted to ask you because you're yeah. more. You have a lot of Oscar knowledge. It, it won. It got nominated for a ton of Globes, right? A couple Globes. It got yeah. Nominated he he for. won. He won Best Actor in a Comedy at the goal, at the goal and gave a great speech. It's worth it's right. worth YouTubing the entire speech is dedicated to the actor who played Osmond. <laughs> and he talks about how, like, when you laid your Golden Globes right. upon my chin. Uh, it's, it's I, I, I unfortunately, because keep in mind, the Oscar race goes through the end of February. Sure. If they were to start voting right now, I would say, yeah, like, she, she might have a shot at getting a nomination. Sure. Unfortunately, I feel like the buzz on this movie is going to be dead in four months. And, and that, she it's is so, so good. It's so right now. Right. It's She's so, so like it's, it, it is a movie that had to come out a week before the presidential election. And by this point, keep in mind, whatever the, the whatever the result of the election is going to be, it's it's almost it's almost it's over a month after that yeah. that they even have to start putting in their nominations. Here's why mm-hmm. I I have a good feeling about the Oscar thing. Um, again, it's we've had long discussions in the show about how the Oscars don't appreciate comedies, how they don't appreciate comedic actors and performances. So it goes against completely the grain of like what an Oscar film would quote unquote be. That sure. being said, there are so many people right now who are, you know, on different political sides of the world, different celebrities who are on different political sides. And I think everybody saw this movie. I I, have, I saw actors tweeting about this film that I don't normally see talk about other films. Like there it was, was all over social media, right? And but it, but sure, it, but, mm-hmm. but but I found he, it. He didn't even get a nomination for best actor oh. in the first one. The first one I felt like was such a cultural phenomenon. But here's mm-hmm. why I feel like this one could break that, and I think because of the importance of the time we're in right now. But also, like you have to think about her performance. It it, it overshadows him. It actually okay, is wait, better wait, than Sasha. I want to do a test. I want to do a test. Okay. Sean, what is the actress's name that plays his daughter? Maria Bakalova. Okay. All right. My 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 thought was going to be that the average <clears throat> Oscar voter doesn't know her name and isn't going to be able to look it up. I ended up writing a couple of stories yeah. about her, so I do know. I, I do didn't know, know her name. I, I, I think I think a lot of Oscar voters are lazy and they're not willing to like oh. look up people's names and they're not willing to look up how to spell people's names. And I feel like, because, I don't mean to like, honestly, like slight any, but I honestly think in four months when the conversations died down, the, the average 80 year old Oscar voter sure. is not going to go like, Oh, what was that girl's name in Borat? And then, and then like go to IMDb and look it up and make sure I, I just don't think they're going to be willing to put in. Not when Francis McDormand or someone right. is right next but to this her. Is, They'll be like, this Oh, is, I liked her. This is classic Jake Kevin discussion because it's funny because I, Jake and I, Jake thinks more logically. I think more emotionally when it comes to this stuff. And I, and I, at the moment, you're right. There's a, there's a, there's a profound. I, and I hope you're right. Yeah. Like we're like, we're, you and I are on the same side right. in terms of what we want to happen. Right. I, I, I agree with you. And that, I you I don't think we're going to get to the end of this Oscar year in February and say that that wasn't one of the best performances. So of the good. Year. Like I I don't think it. Like she fooled Rudy Giuliani. It, like I don't I don't think that you. Hmm. Can, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I also I also want a movie about the making of this film and like oh god and, yes. Like, I, I mean Sasha Baron Cohen said it in his uh, I'll, I'll just plug it because I don't want to uh, give credit but in his GMA interview he said that he hid sure. he hid in the background in uh, the bathroom for five hours at CPAC prior to. Interrupting uh, Mike Pence's speech, and just what do you do in a bathroom stall for five hours? He sat there and listened to conservative people come in and talk. 
and he just kind of like he just kind of got a vibe of what conversations we're having in the bathroom while transforming into Trump. And then I, I, again, that's a, it's an amazing thing. But going back to her for two seconds, and then we'll move on. Um, if you look just at the Giuliani sequence. You have to understand that's not scripted, obviously, right? So she, you know, she's sitting in front of this guy, and the scene is going down, and everything you're seeing her do is adjusting on the spot. Yeah, and like I and and to not and to stay in character, and you go to the dance sequence at the at the debutante house, um, which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. But to not break, like like you watch SNL. People break all the time when you're in these like oh, Adele, yeah. all, Adele all weekend. And you, she was great, but and, she broke. And you rehearse these things and you still break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact yeah. that she didn't break, like her conversation with that woman in the car about this plastic surgery is just so funny to me. How do you not, how do you not break how laughing? How do you yeah, not break? I don't, yeah, I know. She, I, I paid she attention to her reactions it. so laser focused watching it through with Michelle because I was like, here's the point where I would totally lose it. Um, yes. Because he's throwing out off the cuff things that you're not expecting either. So the, it's all credit to her. Um, yeah. I'm going to shift over to a movie that we started talking about last week, but neither of you had a chance to see it. So I want to circle back around because today all three of us had the opportunity to interview Miss Anne Hathaway, star of Robert Zemeckis's The Witches. Uh, and to me, she's a highlight of the film. I think she is yeah. a, a blast, a total blast so as good. the Grand High Witch, uh, a role that went to Angelica Houston in the previous version of it, uh, obviously an adaptation of Roald Dahl's uh, novel. Uh, Kevin, I'll start with you. You finally caught up with The Witches. What did you think of it? I've so enjoyed it. And, and it's funny because on the show last week, uh, Sean and I were discussing it because he is the only one who had seen it. And I was asking about what scenes were in it. Um, so full disclosure, I hadn't seen the 1990 Witches until last week. Um, Lauren was like, we were upstairs one day and she was like, let's put this on. I'm like, I, I was like, I don't really have any interest. I didn't know anything about it. And then it just goes full force with practical effects, like old school, like Nicotero, Tom Savini, like growing, like um, like you, just the, just all the little details, the mice being animatronic and things like that. Um, I thought the new one was a pleasant surprise. I mean, you got Zemeckis, Don Burgess, who shot Forrest Gump and a lot of, uh, you know, works with Zemeckis, Alan Silvestri doing the score. Um I, I understand the criticisms, though, that Jake was saying about it, 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 the CGI, because you know, the original was so practical and it was so fun. Um, but I mean, in the in the way they used the CGI with Hathaway's smile was awesome. Mm. I thought that was so well executed with the the scars and the openness of the mouth. And like, I, I got to give them credit for making a PG film that was still genuinely terrifying. I mean, it's not a it's not a kid's movie. I, I don't consider witches to be a kid's movie. I don't know if you do, Sean, but I, I just I just find it to be I think, terrifying. Like my Brendan would dig it because he's 12. Right. Um, that's about the age. Yeah. And not much younger than that, though. No, because it does push the yeah. envelope quite a bit, especially in the transformation scene. Yeah, and Hathaway is the great. And, and I'll, I'll say this. I mean, it's not a perfect film. Uh, I definitely think it could have used a little less CGI, but there's something magical about what Zemeckis does with his immersion. Um, the score is great. And Hathaway, just that performance is a really hard thing to do, to especially follow up after Angelica Houston, which is you know, the transformation sequence when they pull the wigs off is arguably one of the most iconic scenes. Like, my, like Lauren mm -hmm. is obsessed with that movie. And she's like, that scene is such a big deal to that to that film. And I thought Hathaway crushed it. I thought, And there were scenes where like her arms were expanding. The toes were disgusting. The mm -hmm. the the I just said, I don't know. I was I was entertained. I don't think it's Jake, a masterpiece, but I enjoyed it. Jake, you less so, huh? 
Well, yeah, and I think well, I think a big part of it comes from you know to Kevin's point. I grew up with the 1990 Angelica right. Houston witches. In fact, uh, I had a letter sent home to me when I was in kindergarten because we, my kindergarten class, um, taught by Miss Faye, I think, um, we were going to watch a movie for Halloween, and I raised my little hand and was like, "Hey, like I got this movie on VHS at home," and it's and, and the teacher was like, "Is it family friendly?" And I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's super family friendly. Um, <laughs> my family watches uh, it all the time. <laughs> oh, we're, we're great. Because, you know, I've, as I've talked about extensively on this show, my parents let me watch stuff that I probably shouldn't have been watching. So I you got my copy of Witches. You Chainsaw Massacre. Sure. Uh, so, so by comparison, The Witches was nothing. Um, so I brought The Witches and uh, we got to the face peeling moment, which is brutal if, you, if you haven't seen it's it. Nasty. Uh, for, it's for, for nasty. For a kid's movie. Scene. And kids started crying in my class. <laughs> and uh, so my teacher ran over and like turned it off. Um, and, uh, and I had a letter sent home. Um, and my mom, my, I remember my mom being like, why the hell would you think that you could bring that? You can't bring movies like that to school. Um, did but, you tell so, Annie that story? You should have told Annie I that didn't, story. I, I didn't. Um, Some, so but um, it, well, I was too busy swooning. Um, but no, <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I, that, that that movie was very much, even though it was a 90s movie, it was very much sort of that had that, that Amblin 100%. edge. You know, we always use the word Amblin to kind of refer. I don't even, it wasn't even an Amblin movie, but just sort of that, that kids movies that respected kids enough to get a little scary, you know, whether it be Gremlins or the Goonies or whatever the case may be. Um, so those are a lot of the movies that I really liked as a kid. And I kind of, and, and if you were to ask me what makes the witches great, I, that would be the first thing on my list. And I felt like this one doesn't have that. Mm. It, it, I mean, granted, like there are moments that like could be scary for kids, but there was never a moment where I went like, wow, like that's, that's, you know, and, and I think when you see Angelica Houston peel her skin off of her face, mm. kind of like, uh, Kevin, you would you experience oh. watching the dude cut his face off in Poltergeist. Cool when you see that, you just go, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, the practicality, I know this is a show that's all about practicality. Um, you know, I, I think when you replace practicality with CGI, yeah. it's, it's the same reason that, uh, you know, I, I say that the original Jurassic Park looks better than yeah. the new Jurassic Parks, even though there's a quarter century gap in between. I um, asked just, her about the practical effects and the transformation, though. Kevin, did you talk to her about that? I, I assume to, that you would have. I talked to her about the specific idea of the pressure of, re, of recreating that iconic Angelica Houston moment. So it was more okay. about, like, what that pressure was like for her. And then I did get in some of the technical stuff, uh, which, you know. She I, said she did five hours of prosthetic makeup makeup in order every oh, day in order to get into it there there's more practical effects in this film than 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 we think i i believe i think a lot of the um effects now there are things that are done that are just not possible to do practically sure. i mean you just can't like yeah. that you know so i think for me the effects worked um i don't I wish the mice were still practical. I really mm. missed that the the tangible feeling. That's of when what I fell were. out of the movie a little That's bit. That's the yeah. only thing. And I, I would have, by the way, give credit to. And this is such a random thing, but I thought Chris Rock's narration was great. I, I, it's good. I, I thought I, I like Chris Rock. He brings a youthful <laughs> energy to the character, and I thought Octavia Spencer was really good. Like, I, Wait, I, I want to mention one yeah. thing. Octavia Spencer told me in our interview. She said that for weeks leading up to the shoot. Uh, she spent time in her hotel room talking to inanimate objects so that she could convincingly learn how to yeah. communicate with things that she thought weren't going to be there. That's and I thought awesome. that was really funny. Yeah, and Tucci's yeah, taking on the Rowan Atkinson role. I mean, it, Tucci. it, it, Tucci's amazing. We, we interviewed Stanley Tucci today, which was really cool. He was in, I don't know. We basically did the Devil Wears Prada junk. Yeah, and he's in, he was in Madrid, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what he's filming there. Sean, would you know what, what Tucci might be filming uh, in Madrid? 
he's not no. he's not doing the Hunger Games prequel, is he? The, 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 uh, no, they haven't started. They haven't started filming, started filming that. that oh, have they? okay. I w- he would be a character in that. Yeah, though, that's I what I was assume. wondering. I was wondering what he was hmm. doing there because I don't know if you guys haven't seen these like videos he puts on his Instagram where he makes drinks. They're oh, yeah, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah. Um, they are and good. I, I had to call him out a little bit today because he the last video he did was for an old fashioned and he used small ice cubes. I'm like Stanley. Come on, man! Yeah, come on, come on, <laughs> come on, Stanley! So I, I did you really? Did you give him a hard time? Did you? Really? Yeah, I went upstairs and grabbed. What did he say? I grabbed, he goes. He goes. You're 100 percent right. I need to get those trays, those big ice cube trays. He goes. It changes the drink. He's never had a Moscow Mule, a copper. I, I, I will say, Kevin is a purist. I have been to bars, oh. literally around the world, where, with Kevin. Yes. Where before we order, Kevin will say. Do you have the big, the big cubes? Cube. And yeah. oftentimes you'll order something else. If they don't, they don't, a lot of times you'll order something else. It changes it's, an old fashioned. It completely no, changes absolutely it. right. Yeah. You can tell what kind of place we are in when the <laughs> yeah. person that you order from either says, uh, oh, yes, we absolutely have that. Like, don't worry. We'll take care of that. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. if they're like big cubes and then you're like, okay, never mind. Yeah. I'll just... Yeah. I, yeah. Honestly, I will not order. The, I mean, I, I, this sounds so pretentious, but I will not. Oh, it's order the it. most highbrow podcast. But let me say this, though. <laughs> I, I do feel like at, at a certain point in your life, you get to a point where you know what you like. And like, I always yeah. get like dirty looks like Jake, Jake, Jake can sympathize with me on this because I'm I've been a picky eater all my life. So like it, my order growing up for like a salad was just lettuce and dressing, please. And like and pe- I would get the weirdest looks ever. And the reason I bring that up is because as you get older, you know what you like. And I know it sounds pretentious to say, yeah. give me the one cube but yeah it's I, I for me it's it. it's more of a it's less of as i get older i know what i like because I, I think i've always known what i like i think now it's as i get older i'm paying for it <laughs> therefore <laughs> if i'm gonna if i'm gonna, especially yeah. some of the hotels that we stay at if i'm gonna pay 18 dollars for this drink i want it to be the way that i want it to be <laughs> right. you, Do you know? know what we put on lettuce when we were young and we called it salad and i mentioned this the other day in a conversation and i got looked at like i had three heads <laughs> We would have uh, lettuce as salad for our um, like a side dish when we had uh, meals growing yeah. up, and my mom as a dressing would just put mayonnaise. Oh, what the is that hell? weird? I don't oh. know. To me, it was normal. Wait a second. That's what we knew. The consistency of mayonnaise oh. on on like nat like on, on like yeah. lettuce. I can't, yeah, I can't. But I mean, I guess oh. it would it would be like if you got a sandwich with mayonnaise and lettuce and tomato. Like, how different would that be? It's the same reason why... I've always found this conversation fascinating. I know this is completely off topic. I didn't know, but I was told it was weird. Think about when you get a plate of food, right? So let's say you get a steak... Mashed potatoes and asparagus. That's that's Jake and I. That's Jake and I's go-to meal. Um, But if you took all those items and put them in a blender and blended them up and drank it, it would be disgusting. But you're still eating it the same way. You're right, though. I never... Like, mayonnaise on a chick... on, On a sandwich... Right, it with sits a, with on the ma- lettuce. lettuce. Yeah, right. I, don't, I don't eat mayonnaise on my sandwich. I don't eat mayonnaise either, no, but but your point is valid because if any if someone has a BLT and you put mayonnaise sure. on the lettuce, what's the difference yeah. between eating lettuce with mayonnaise out of a bowl? None. I, I think it has to do with the presentation of it. I don't know. Oh, it's it, weird. Well, I mean, apparently, it's weird. Melted but I didn't cheese tastes different than up. regular cheese. Isn't that weird? Too? Question for you so, guys. Yeah. So svelte. Chili. Is it a soup? Go. No. Oh, no. Wait, I've never heard this Blenders, question. No, I was kidding. Please weigh in if chili is a soup. Okay, let's move on. Um, I'm super excited because last night Tom Holland landed in uh, Atlanta and put a, a video up on his Instagram story because Spider-Man 3 is about to begin filming. And I'm excited for uh, various reasons. A, another Spider-Man movie. 
uh, this one in the MCU, co-produced by Marvel and Sony, but also because with the news of Shang-Chi uh, wrapping its filming and sharing some um, Daniel Denton, uh, Destin Cretton was the director who shared some photos from the last day of shooting, Spider-Man 3 beginning to film, these are indicators to me that the wheel is starting to get moving again, right? Like Uncharted has wrapped, which is what allowed Tom Holland to fly from... Um, I think they were in Spain when they finished. Uh, they shot in Berlin for a long time, too. Now he's in Atlanta. They're going to start wrapping up shooting for that. You see the Jurassic uh, World got back to shooting. Does it feel to you guys like the wheel is starting to turn? Uh, yeah, and and more so, you know, the thing that I kept worrying about was when this delay was going to catch up with us. Because obviously next year... I think it's going to be in terms of releases. If things get back to normal, we're going to be okay because all the movies that were supposed to come out this year will just come out next year. Sure. The thing I was concerned about is when all of those movies come out, is there going to be sort of a weird six month lull where we don't really have a bunch of new TV seasons or where we don't really have a bunch of new movies right, because right. Hollywood's playing catch up. Um, so I, I'm hoping that, all of these movies that are finishing wrapping and hopefully TV productions are, are back up and going. The Batman was just shooting here in Chicago. That's right. That's a week. huge one. Yeah. Um, so it, it's making me think that that lull is going to be shorter. I don't want to say non-existent because it's got to right. catch up at some point, um, but shorter than, than I think I was initially concerned for it to be. Yeah. I got a lot of questions. I still need to answer about Spider-Man three. Like there's a bunch of, like, what's going on with his identity um, now that it's out? Is Jamie Foxx honestly playing the Electro from the Mark well, Webb movies? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, so right now, a lot of people, there's that that unsubstantiated report, which really bothers me that it's circulating, despite the fact that heavily quoting, everyone's quoting like an article that is not backed up at all. No, um, but but like that's if it happened, like if they show up in Atlanta, if someone sees Tobey Maguire right. or Andrew Garfield in Atlanta, it's game over. Right. Yes. So like, wouldn't they have to announce that pretty soon? Yes. And in fact, I'm very surprised that we have heard no casting up to this point, because I'm yeah. pretty sure that even by the time they started to film Far From Home, you knew that Sam Jackson was going to be a part of it. Yeah. Although we do know Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be a part of it. Yeah. I think we probably knew Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, but they were trying to play the whole Mysterio is going to be a good guy who's working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Like everybody knew that was bogus. Yeah. But we don't even know theoretically who the villain of Spider-Man 3 is. Right. It, like, is it Electro? Is he a main villain? Or is that just going to be a cameo that sets up something? There's a lot of unanswered questions. Sean, what are your thoughts on like, especially in this day and age, I feel like you almost yeah. have to just announce stuff because people are going to find out anyways. And I think one of like one of the biggest lessons I think that ever happened was with Khan in Into Darkness, right? Like, the, like yeah. how Abrams tried to keep that under wraps and it was like a the one of the best known secrets you ever had and i remember dude it, do i remember this wrong didn't people when we saw it in london when we did the junket didn't people kind of groan when he said yeah. like i am everyone was like yeah we know, we know. Um, right and so <laughs> i think the reason why i bring that up is because in in this situation in spider-man 3 situation it's yeah. almost impossible to keep things secret nowadays right like and, and, right. I, and I do you think a studio at this point just needs to make a decision and go, all right, yes, we're casting these. You know, Garfield's going to be in this. It's done. We're doing it. Leave us alone um, <laughs> kind of thing. With that one, I think they should lean into it. I think so, if they're going to do it, yeah. yeah, it's not something it's not, that you can yeah. keep a secret. They sat on uh, J.K. Simmons coming back. That was a really great reveal. But I feel like um, J.K. Simmons' return this is, 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 is it's, it's easier to keep under wraps because it's one scene he does it in a studio. Yeah. No one's looking for J.K. Simmons to walk into yeah. a studio and go, oh, he must be doing something with Spider-Man. But if you have Garfield right. and 
Maguire yeah. show up in Atlanta? Yeah. In Atlanta, in, in, in a, you know, yeah. if they're shooting in New York, then you could just write it off as saying like, they live well, there. they're in New York, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Not, or L.A. If they're in Atlanta, there's a good chance that... Well, I think you'd have to approach it in this way. You'd have to say, it almost feels like a press conference, Yeah. hey, Spider-Man 3 is going to be a Spider-Verse movie, and we're bringing Andrew and Toby back. Yeah. Like you make a you make the announcement is the big deal. And now it's like, cool, let us go film that and we'll be back. Like, stop pestering mm. us. Yeah. Lead with it, you know, and sort of say this is what we're doing, which which leads me to believe that that is not what they are doing with this one. It doesn't that's, mean honestly, that it won't tease it's a bummer. It. Yeah. And I feel the same way. They're like they would have said it by now. Sure. Of course. And and again, it's it's the Internet machine getting ahead of itself and yeah. saying like, oh, this is going to happen. And then when it doesn't right now, that is plaguing uh, my boy, Zack Snyder and his Justice League. There's a contingent of people who fully believe that Ryan Reynolds is going to return as Green Lantern because um, some Internet scoopers are pushing the narrative that, that this is going to happen. But it's Haven't not they been doing that for years, though. Like, I feel like that's a, like that's a story that pops up on my timeline every it, it has made the rounds for sure but then but it sets people up for disappointment then when the movie comes and he's not in it aren't people going to be upset like if he Spider-Man... literally just made a movie where he joked about blowing his own brains out yes rather than stop. making green lantern stop like like what it. makes you think that yeah. he's in a place where he wants to go back and do that again exactly i don't understand it and then even this morning like the thing that really got me this morning and sometimes i try not to tweet but this one just got to me they were like, um, well, he really wants to do it, but it's coming down to timing. There's a deal on the tape. And I was like, they're doing the reshoots now. Like, if if they don't know whether he's going to do it or not, like, then it's not happening. Like, this is not how movies work. It's not fan fiction where you can just insert somebody, you know, that day because they're free. It doesn't happen that way. So that stuff just blows my mind. But um, anyway, people, the fans do tend to get a little bit ahead of themselves. It's it's like a good problem to have. You want them super engaged and you want them invested. But then sometimes when they push uh, rumors through and then those rumors don't come to pass because the filmmakers are like, no, we're not doing that. Um it could be it could be slightly detrimental i think so. I, I always love the the rumors that i read and i don't mean to like knock people but when they are credited to when it when it clear is a clear indication that the person doesn't have a basic understanding of how this business works yes and i say that by saying uh you know i my cousin's uncle's you know like person in this position got to read the script and a person with a working knowledge of hollywood would go well, that person would never get to read the script. Like that person would never get to read episode right. nine. Like that's, yeah. that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Oh, I want to float one thing too. There's some people um, who run, and I'm not going to name drop and I'm not going to mention any sites, but sites that run off scoops essentially. Okay. Who will say like, no, I have a contact and this person tells me exactly what happens. And, and, and I want to say to them, but I haven't yet. Like, don't you kind of think sometimes they just tell you stuff to see how far you're going to run with it? Like it's misdirect almost. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a little bit entertaining to the filmmakers who are like, Oh, let's tell them Ryan Reynolds is going to come back. <laughs> let's see how far that rumor can go. And then it goes, it spreads and they sit back and they're like, good. They think Ryan Reynolds is coming yeah. back. Let's go yeah. do what we want to do. Yeah, exactly. People are talking about the film. So yeah. uh, let's switch really quickly to the idea uh, that Moon Knight, Moon Knight is a Marvel character who's going to get a show on Disney plus in, aden- in addition to the recently cast uh she hulk and miss marvel uh moon knight is circling oscar isaac according to reports that we were seeing before we recorded the episode today i don't think it's been confirmed i think the the verbiage in the trade reports is that he's in talks 
Um, I am legitimately stunned at this uh, because Oscar Isaac is a full blown movie star, like full stop. And this, this is the first time somebody of his caliber would be going to take on one of the Disney plus shows uh, and lead it, which I would assume is going to be one of these eight episode Mandalorian type uh, shows. And I'm not even talking about WandaVision or Falcon and the Soldier, where those roles have been established in the Marvel movies. And those people are taking it to Disney uh, plus and Marvel. Sean, what is this character? What is this character? Okay. So Moon Knight is uh, an assassin, essentially, um, but a good guy. He's he is uh, Marvel's answer to Batman. He's a uh, billionaire playboy or millionaire playboy. Um, he has uh, the the skill same exact skill set as Batman in the fact that he has like he's rich ninja esque skills. He's super rich. He has a lot of uh, yeah. What's your Sorry. superpower again? Justice, justice. Uh, I actually like that line. <laughs> I, I do. I do like it that is line. A, it's a great yeah. line. It's I think that's line. a Zach line. Yeah. He has all the sorts of Batman toys you would expect: uh, grappling hooks, helicopters. Um, the only hook is that he has split personality disorder. Hmm. So three different people live inside of him. Oh, that's, and oh, you never know which person you're going to get. One guy is like a really blue collar esque taxi cab driver. One person is the Bruce Wayne type, uh, you know, billionaire playboy who's uh, a womanizer. And one person is like an international spy and they routinely can switch places inside of Moon Knight. Um, and, and you so never really know which one you're going to get. So each of them become the hero? Yeah, yeah. If they're inside the same body, uh, it's just whenever you need this person, like that's the persona that you sort of switch to. So uh, I, guess, I guess my my question was, does each persona get to try out the hero aspect? Oh yeah, aspect? Yes. That, that's cool. That's actually really interesting. And it could honest. give Oscar Isaac a great chance to play all three of those roles, kind of thing, which yeah. is very fun to do. So I could see why he would sign on, but I, but I'm stunned that he's agreeing to take on um, a a television project uh, and b a big theoretically big franchise type thing after coming off of star Wars. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we were texting about it a little bit earlier. It really, I don't know if he ever directly came out and said any, but it really felt like, yeah. Uh, when star Wars was done, when they were wrapping up, when they were wrapping up press for rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. that he really did not enjoy that experience or it didn't go the way that he thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and it's the same, like say what you want to about the difference between star Wars and Marvel. And, and yes, there is obviously a lot in how those films are handled, but it's still the same company and it's still, um, you know, a, 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 a brand name with a very passionate fan base. Yeah. Um, a, a fan base that has the power to backlash against you. If things now, don't work out the way that you, not that you moon Knight, though, you know, like maybe there's a little bit more flexibility in that he's not going to get scrutinized for not being an accurate interpretation of, of moon Knight, you know, as opposed to if he took on Batman, maybe he feels a little sure. bit more freedom with that. Sure. I, I um, but yeah, I, but to your point, I feel like he he probably has the power to say, you know, I want to do the movie first and then Mm -hmm. I'll do the Disney Plus series. So the fact that we're getting introduced to this character through a Disney Plus series, I think, because that that means what they'll probably kind of like Daredevil, they'll they'll treat the first season as the origin story. I would think so. And And then the end of season one is when he is Moon Knight. That's a good question. So they could... I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or does, or does he start the show as Moon he Knight? He might and then, start the show as Moon Knight, um, although I would wonder. Could I'd Oscar wonder. Isaac's character end up in an MCU film? Absolutely. Well, that's oh, the yeah. thing. Like, they okay. might be saying to these actors who they are we'll bringing on for the new later. shows, here's what we're building towards. We're going to yeah. introduce all of these characters, and eventually yeah. you might be part of the next Avengers. Because or, then, then almost you can kind of jump into the deep end with your first movie. If you can, if you do the Disney Plus series first, right. 
get the origin story out of the way because there are yeah. only so many different ways you can tell an origin story for sure. So get that out of the way. And, and then by the time your first movie comes around, bam, you just jump right into it and you're in the action. Like people yeah. already know who you are. You don't have to spend the first hour doing setup. You can just, you can spend, it's, it's almost like your first movie's a sequel. Yep. It's kind of like how they handled also, homecoming, right? They didn't go. Yeah. hundred percent. Exactly. Didn't like, Uncle Ben home. didn't have to die. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. As long- and I would follow Oscar Isaac into, into anything. Yeah. I mean, so. sure. and think about Oscar Isaac's resume. I mean, the guy, so he, ha- he has a, he has a three star Wars films under his belt. He has a, 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 Dylan, a Denis Villeneuve film coming out Dune. Um, maybe he just wants to mess with episodic. Maybe he's interested in the, in the arc of uh, having eight or nine episodes. But sure. I mean, I think the point that was made just now is probably the most important point is there's probably a larger picture to this at the end of the day. I mean, it's probably mm-hmm. like, like you said, an Avengers level movie that he would eventually work his way into. Um, and I think that's probably the end game. Right. But also Disney plus is not, uh... yeah, I know. that was actually not unintentional. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I think that right now in these times, taking a streaming show on Disney plus probably is a good idea. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I would just imagine that there's nothing wrong with that at the moment. Cause so many people are home. Not that we're going to see this in the, anytime soon, but I, I think um, business-wise, it's a smart decision. Hey, do you know who I trust? Uh, Kevin Feige. Yeah. Guy seems to know what he's doing. Kind of. So yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> seems like a pretty good idea. Yeah. Uh, but before this even comes to pass, it's funny that you hear casting for this because WandaVision is going to hit the end of this year. They still have uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki are two series that are ahead of this. They cast She-Hulk. They cast Miss Marvel. And then they're getting around to Moon Knight. Like... Oscar Isaac could sign for this and not shoot for another two, two and a half years. Yeah. So eventually all that money I pay for Disney plus is going to pay off. <laughs> you haven't canceled it yet? No, because Mandalorian is about to come out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. True. Jake and I I'm were just saying this today's Monday, right? So we're recording Monday. So whatever day you're listening to this, uh, just think about it as a Monday topic. But, but Jake and I were saying this earlier. Where's the buzz for the Mandalorian? Season two comes out Friday. There's no the Disney's doing a little behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Disney's doing no junket for it. Right. They're not giving anyone and Game of Thrones didn't even do this until later in the run, like near the end of the show. They're not giving anyone early episodes to review or prepare, um, you know, the the preemptive uh, recaps, which are so popular online. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm with you. I, I felt like leading up to the first uh, one. the first season, like i was jacked like to the point yeah. where i even thought like okay i gotta be at work at 6 a.m do i wake up at four and just watch it like so, like i don't i don't feel that like i'll get around i'll get around to it this weekend the first episode and, and, i have been told thing. sorry go ahead i've been told that some big things happened in the first episode that people are going to be reacting to right so i it might not be a get ahead of the curve and get people excited. Who are but, these sources, Sean? But maybe it's one of those uh, situations where once it plays, people are like, oh, great. So what you're saying is Ryan Reynolds shows up as Green Lantern <laughs> yes. in The Mandalorian. The Green Lantern it's, it's more and Baby, feasible than him being... <laughs> Green Lantern and Baby Yoda <laughs> Green Lantern. team up for the, green, the, green, the Greens. Yeah. No, but in, in all honesty, though, I, that's an interesting point because think about Borat, right? Borat like really all of its momentum built up in the last three days before it came out. Right. Um, and so if Mandalorian drops Thursday night and, and whatever gigantic thing happens in that first episode, you better believe it's going to be the biggest trending topic on Twitter. And then there's your advertising. There's your buzz. And, And then again, going back to the point we made earlier, you know, this is an episodic thing once a week. 
So they're mm-hmm. going to this thing. I don't even think I think they're thinking about I think they're thinking more pre post release than they are pre release. I think they're thinking well, about because like, how the momentum can build. They don't care about the show. I, they do. They care about merchandise. They want you to buy all your baby Yodas come holiday season. I have an animatronic baby Yoda upstairs that I talk to every day. It's amazing. I put my hand on top of it. You don't even talk to us every day. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you talk to baby Yoda every day? Dude, it's like a yes. really comforting thing. If you go buy it, I'm going to grab it. Hold on. You, guys, you don't even right. have a wife, right? Yeah, I do. Hold on one second. <laughs> While Kevin's getting his baby Yoda, let's quickly go through the weekend reviews, uh, the weekend movies, because I'm not sure we've seen any of them. Jake, have you seen The Craft Legacy? I did not. No, but I am interested in seeing it, though. How about Holiday? Which is coming to Netflix. No. Holiday? No. Nope. Uh, the horror movie Come Play with... I thought you saw that. Gillian Jacobs. Uh, they did the junket, but I didn't do it. No. Sarah on our staff did. Lauren saw Holiday, and she enjoyed it. Um, it's did Emma, she? It's Emma Roberts. It's like... It's actually... I mean, the premise is actually something super relatable. It's like this idea that when you're in the holidays, you're supposed to have a, a, a relationship with somebody so you can bring that person to the parents. But if you're alone okay. on the holidays, it's like... So they, her and Luke Bracey, is that the gentleman's name? The guy from, like, oh, Hacksaw yeah. Ridge and Point Break. Um, they basically, That was Mel Gibson. Right, right. Hacksaw Ridge is awesome, by the way. Um, they become, like, friends who are trying to, like, you know, be friends during the holidays. And, of course, the love story. Do they of, get together by the end, Kev? I haven't seen it. Lauren saw it, but um. I, I, I just... You assume, but I have no idea. <laughs> All right, here's Baby Yoda. I, and honestly... The cr- this thing is insane. Like the animatronics. Oh, let me see if I can get this thing to. Uh, Come right, on, here we go. Let's see if it'll work. He's sleeping. Oh, is he? Is he really sleeping? What's he doing? Come on, buddy. Are you really gonna do this to me right now? Come on, buddy. Oh, Lauren has him off. Come on, buddy. Lauren turned him off. That's why. Are you guys keep going? This is like I'm like I'm like. No, I, I no I'm I'm in this is this is money well spent. Riveted this thing oh, right now. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. All right. Let's here see we go. Thing. Here we go. Tilt down. Here we go. See, this is. Oh, that's amazing. Dude, his ears. Hold on. Let me see. There's like 25. Oh, the ears legit. Look at the ears. Isn't that wild? <laughs> this is really good for audio Tell me those podcasts. eyes aren't the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Look at. This has about as much a plot as the Mandalorian. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's gizmo for our generation. I, for this generation. I am it a 12-year-old really kid when it comes to this. And plus. Yeah. The, the, here's the cool thing and this is so inside baseball most people don't really care about like filmmaking and stuff like that in regards to like the details that go into it but we all know the story about Werner Herschog and like getting the animatronic um, Yoda like the, they wanted it to be animatronic versus like a CGI yeah, yeah. character the fact that a toy gets to come out and I get to experience the animatronic elements of it at home it's awesome like as a film fan awesome. it's, 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 it's kind of cool to see this thing happen in person I will say that the ear the ears are unbelievable that's pretty great. This segment sponsored by Baby Yoda. Yes, exactly. All right, let's get to our blend game. Uh, we are wrapping up the month of October and playing hashtag Halloween movie blend. And the challenge was to try to find a movie that we love that is either set on uh, Halloween or has enough of a connection to the Halloween holiday that you could justify choosing it. But as an added challenge to the hosts we were not allowed to choose uh, carpenter's halloween or i would argue any uh, film in the halloween franchise although if you really want to pick rob zombies i'm not going to give you a hard time for it so um jake you're our resident horror halloween guy why don't you go first and tell us your favorite hashtag halloween movie blend you know i i 
did my best to try to find a really good list of horror movies that were set around Halloween or about Halloween. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and every time I would find a list, they would include a movie and I would go, is that, is that movie really set yeah. on Halloween? And, and, right. and I'm saying this because a lot of people, and please correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of people when we threw this out there said Scream. And I don't think Scream is set around Halloween. I don't so. remember Scream enough to know that it is or not. No, I know not. they have a party at the end, but I think the party is because they're celebrating that school was let out. No, you're right, Jake. If the, if the party, if it was a Halloween film, they would have been dressed up in costume. Yeah, uh, like that, they, that, I, that, I, I, Scream is, I think yeah. the, the, this is, this became an interesting topic last week because Gabe came up with the topic and we were questioning mm-hmm. Gabe on like what this actually means. Right. And I think the idea of the reason those lists are bringing those films in is just the idea of what a horror film is you watch right. around Halloween. But yeah. this is, and like watch right, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I tried to find one that was specifically about, and I couldn't find the definitive list but i kept going back to one movie and that is the horror anthology trick-or-treat oh um mike doherty man yeah if you've never seen it that movie was one of those movies that was kind of in um pre-released hell where they 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 kept like just pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back it was gonna hit theaters and then it was gonna come out it was gonna hit theaters around october then it was gonna hit theaters on valentine's day and then they ended up just just sitting on a shelf gathering dust and then i think they just put it straight to dvd and then it kind of started gathering this this sort of this cult status and it kind of does something similar to kevin what you were talking about um cabin in the woods does to the horror genre which is pay respect to the horror genre include all of the elements about horror that we make fun of yeah but then present them in a really interesting way and so it's a really it's it, you know the, the whole movie takes place around the night of halloween it's little vignettes that are in their own way really tied together. So that they're, in, they're individual stories, but you'll see characters cross over from one story to the other. The story has a very cyclical nature about it where like it kind of ends where it begins and begins where it ends. Uh, it's so smart, and you don't even realize how smart it is until it's over. Uh, yeah. All of the actors in a lot of recognizable faces from Anna Paquin to Brian Cox, um, they're, they're 100% into it. Like They sell it 100%. And it's just, you know, it's a lot of fun. And I watch it every couple of years, every couple of Halloweens. And there are so many fun twists that I always forget about. Uh, the big one being uh, the end of Anna Paquin's story, <laughs> which is so fun. I don't want to say it, but yeah. but it, it it takes you down a path of, hey, you know, all of the horror movie cliches like, OK, we're going to make fun of them. Oh, but we're make we're making fun of different cliches than you think we are. Uh, and, and so it's, it's a lot of fun if you are a fan of horror movies and, and you think that you know everything about the genre. It's a, it's a fun send up to it that makes fun of it, but also pays respect to it at the same time. Yeah. And a shout out to Mike, Michael Doherty, by the way, who, who directed that film. Like he, I, I actually liked Krampus. He did Krampus as well. Uh, I, know, I did too. I thought yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was very well done. I mean, he recently did the new Godzilla film with Millie Bobby Brown too, but I think I was on IMDb right now. It looks like they've announced a trick or treat too. And I, you never know if these things are real, but, but sure. Jake, Jake brings up a great film and it's not, it's not my pick. So I just wanted to expand, but it is such a, it's scary as hell, but unique. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you're watching something special and fun. And it's like a movie that just didn't get the love it deserved. Like I was also looking at like Donnie Darko, which also has a Halloween element to it as well. And like these, I feel like those two films fall into a similar category where they're just expanding on a genre, but it's so unique. But again, a film that just kind of fell on, it's only like an hour and, 25 minutes yeah, hour super and 30 fast. minutes yeah i think it's i think it's under an hour and a half and yeah they had a pack when 
scene, uh, that storyline is amazing. Yeah. I, I, all I remember is them by the tree. I won't go into specific yeah. details, but uh, anybody out there who hasn't seen Trick or Treat, it is amazing. Me, I've never seen it. You've see never it. seen it? Oh, no, so you gotta watch it, it, dude. You would love it. It's super smart. It's amazing. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I will check it out. I think Kevin has mine, so I'm gonna let Kevin go next. Uh, wait. You think you and I have the same one? I'm gonna guess we have the same one. Oh well, now now I feel pressured. Um, no, don't. Just tell me what yours is. Well, it's funny because I mean I went with the Nightmare Before Christmas. I did too. Okay, yes. all right. Well, then we'll play with that. I did too. Um, okay. Now, I mean, <laughs> so part of this show, part of the reason why we love doing the show is we get to share our personal connections to films. So, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas is you know it's everything to my wife Lauren and I. So it's like you know we got engaged with Jack and Sally. At Disney World, um, you know, they uh, those characters are all over our house. They're the names of our dogs now. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, our two dogs are Jack and Sally. Uh, and y- you wouldn't believe the Nightmare Before Christmas material we have all over this house. And one of the one of the astounding things about Nightmare Before Christmas that I've always found interesting is so many people think Tim Burton directed it. Um, mm, and, you know, it's, yes. it's Henry Selleck who ends up doing Coraline. Uh, did he do Coraline? Henry Selleck did Coraline. He did, yes. Um, and James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. And, and so, it, it, but it's so Burton. Um, and I'll never forget. And the same way that Poltergeist is so Spielberg. Exactly. And it, it's an interesting thing because to me, it, it will always be a Tim Burton film. And I love Henry Selleck. Don't get me wrong. But the ideas, the the concepts, the the Danny Elfman element. Uh, I also love that they had two different actors playing Jack, one for the speaking voice and one for the singing voice and like Elfman's music and the uh, Catherine O'Hara is brilliant in the, in the, in the movie is Sally. Um, God, she's so great. Just fantastic. And I think I'll never forget my mom. My mom got me. So we went to New York city for like a family vacation and there was a Tim Burton MoMA exhibit that was happening at the museum of modern art or whatever it was somewhere in Manhattan and we showed up on the day and the tickets were sold out. So my, and my mom went up to the uh, up to the countertop and fought her way into getting four tickets. I'll never forget it. And so she comes back from the line. She's like, I got four tickets. We're going in now. I, I, I don't know what she how did. Do that? I don't know if she. Ex- hey, how, how did yeah, How did that work? I'll have to ask my mom. I, I, unless she <laughs> my mom is pretty persuasive. And I feel like she probably said how much this movie meant to us because growing up, that was a big film. Um, mm-hmm. see, it's, it's weird because that movie had an importance for me as a kid that it had an importance for me now as an, as an adult, completely different reasons. Cause you know, I meet Lauren, it becomes a different, it's a love story for me as a kid. I watch it cause I'm so fascinated by the stop motion animatronic or I stop motion effects and everything. So I'm going, Wait, was she into it before you two met? Oh yeah. It's, this was a movie that both and I, both Lauren and I absolutely loved outside of ever knowing each other. See, that's pretty cool. Um, and so I didn't realize that. And so I'll never forget going through this MoMA exhibit. And then I got to this area where it was like a glass enclosed case. There must've been 30 to 40 to 50 Jack Skellington heads just for cool. each facial expression. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So when yeah, you make a movie yeah. like this, you know, you're 24 frames a second, so you're shooting 24 pictures for every second of motion. So, yeah. ev- so you know, it could take weeks to film a minute of the movie because you essentially, you know, stop motion is not, this is not like a secret, but for Jack to have a reaction in a scene, the character of Jack, if his face goes from sad to happy, that could take you know, three, uh, th- three frames or three um, yeah, seconds of sure. film. You're talking 24, 24, 24. And so you change his expression each time. And it's very impressive. Um, it's so seamless when you watch it though. And I think that uh, that film, just the Halloween aspect of it, if we're going Halloween, um, my wife and I got engaged on Halloween, October 31st. 
and it was with Jack and Sally. So that I know there's a debate on whether or not it's a Christmas movie or a Halloween film. I think it's both. It's both. It's both. Yeah, and the songs. This is Halloween. And they literally stuff. it literally opens with a song. This is Halloween. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, well, that's what. Yeah. So hey, when you're done, to be honest with you, I just think. I just want to say it's just, it's just a special film and I, and I absolutely love it and it just means a lot to me personally but I also love the film in general and I think stop motion is one of the most insanely cool filmmaking techniques I've ever seen There, there is one of the greatest shots in the history of cinema is when Jack is walking out on that on that thin you know and it's wrapping yeah exactly yeah. And it's so like, have you it's watched that gorgeous. that um that series on Disney Plus about the guy um, who collects the props or he goes around and interviews everybody who's associated with the props. No. What, what is awesome. the name? I'm going to look up the name of the show because they have an episode specifically for The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, and he he goes to the location where they still have that set. Wow. The hill. Where is and, it? They still um, have the hill? Yes, they have oh, the hill intact. So cool. And they show how the um, markings on the side... Um, are sketched in a way so that when the camera went across them, it, it was a, it's a, a graphic trick. It's a trick so that um, it looks like the grass is moving kind of thing. If you oh. if you move a camera across it, but it's still that's awesome. hacked that way. Um, I got, I'll, I'll try and find the great, name of the great show. Great choice, Kevin. I mean, both of you. Well, that's a great choice. I feel like it was a choice that you guys probably expected from me because of, because you guys know me so yeah. well and how much that movie. Well, sure. I, I didn't but... think about it, and you're right in that it is both Halloween and Christmas. But I think in my mind, it's a Christmas movie. Like I, I think I think of it at Christmas time more before I think of it at Halloween. You're right. I'm not saying it's not a Halloween movie because it absolutely is. But I, it didn't even pop in my head because, like I said, I I, I, don't, I usually don't start thinking about that movie till around December. And well, that's why I was going to say the part I was going to add was prop just culture. prop culture. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. it's a great show. That's, it's a I didn't really, come up really with that. good show. I, that, that wasn't our, me. Our Thank you, Allie. Allie. Very nice. Yeah. Um, to me, Nightmare Before Christmas was always a Christmas movie. And, and in fact, my favorite scene in the movie is when Jack first lands in the North Pole in the snow yeah. and the song. What's this? What's this? Yeah. I love that scene. And that is one of the scenes that puts me in the mood. Um, for the holiday season. Yeah. I, I watch yeah. it every single year to start thinking about Christmas. But in going back to rewatch the movie so many times, I came to appreciate how funny the Halloween bits are. Like if you're the a mayor. town it's that so is good. only obsessed with Halloween, that when they, he comes back to explain like what they do on Christmas and they have all their ideas of like the horrible things that they would do, <laughs> it's really funny. And yeah. that's very Tim Burton. Like it, it dials into how much Tim Burton it is. Haven't you guys always wanted to go into the other doors? Like at the beginning where they show oh, all the trees. I've always, I've always wanted, I've never interviewed Henry <laughs> Selleck before, but I've always wanted to ask him hypothetically, like what the other doors yeah, would be well, there like. Was a turkey and there was an easter bunny i remember it wasn't there a shamrock oh that, that yeah i think that might have been yeah, a shamrock yeah. that's so funny Laura anyway, and i got to I, go I, to I a hollywood well bowl too. and see elfman perform that that's with cool. Catherine o'hara they were doing oh. songs oh, as jack beautiful. and sally it was wait so sean do you have a, a aside from the idea of a christmas element of it like is there a specific reason why that became your pick um, Just, just i love the love? I got to get I got to really fall in love with the characters of Halloween Town. Yeah, I think they're really cute. They are um, they're Halloweeny in a way that's still really adorable. Yeah. Like they have the, the vampires that sing uh, their little chorus. They've got the, um, the 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 big blobby guy with the with the hatchet in his head. Um, they're all just like really cute little Halloween guys. And I think it's adorable. The mayor is very funny. Um, um, yeah. How panicky he is. And two faced. Literally two faced. I love how the next day, like they 
they just finished Halloween and, and he's like, let's start planning. <laughs> let's go again. <laughs> it's, and it's, if you think of a town that's dedicated to one holiday, that's exactly what they would do. So, so um, Sean, I have a question for you. So, yeah. so because Kevin and Lauren both shared a love of Night Before Christmas, it's how he proposed and Jack yes. and Sally were there. Yeah. If yeah. Michelle had shared your love of Die Hard, right. would you have like, would you have proposed in like an air vent? Not like, we should, we should get married, have a few laughs. <laughs> Yeah, I scatter glass shards down the aisle. <laughs> I make a run down it with no shoes on <laughs> while I shoot guns over her head. <laughs> ho, 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 now I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been very strange. Um, all right, audience picks. Let's say uh, RKH uh, said The Adams Family, 1991. God, yes. Michael Breen said, got to go old school with this and pick one of the funniest plays movies of all time, Arsenic and Old Lace, a perfect movie, iconic, I don't think character performance and directed by Frank Capra that takes place on Capra. Halloween. Wow. Capra. What year wow. is that? Is that the 40s? Arsenic and Old Lace would be 40, 41 or 42, been... I want to wow. say. Yeah, I did the junket for that. Uh, Mike <laughs> Reyes went with Trick or Treat, the horror sure. anthology. John Palmer... Uh, I, this is a good pick, and I know it's not Halloweeny, but it's a it's a very distinct Halloween scene. Uh, et when Elliot and Michael take yeah. Et, yeah, that works. Trick or treating. Yeah. So I'm going to allow that. Uh, Joel McFarlane had to go with Hocus Pocus. It's a great one. And Lawrence Weinstein brought up a, a movie that has been on top of my pile of movies that I want to watch, and I keep meaning to get to it. And he's uh, he picked a 2015 movie called The Final Girls which sends up many of the horror movie tropes while having a poignant backstory of a young woman interacting with her long dead mother after being sucked into the slasher movie her co her mother co-starred in. It is funny, suspenseful, and ultimately moving. It has a Michael Myers type character. Sounds amazing. And that is the connection to Halloween. I highly recommend it. It's currently on Showtime and available on Amazon Prime to rent. So you guys know the term, the final girl, right? Yes. Mm -mm. Like like Jamie, like Laurie Strode. Uh, For people oh, oh, who are unfamiliar, yeah, yeah. in a horror movie, this is the girl who, who ends up right. surviving till the end of the movie, usually puts away the killer. Um, this is a movie called The Final Girls, where a young girl gets pulled into a horror film oh, uh, and cool. has to survive. And it sort of lampoons the idea of horror films. I've been told by so many people very similar to Doherty's film that it's really clever. You got to check it out. Uh, it's been on the top of my pile forever. All, and I've I, never heard of it. That sounds I'm awesome. I've been able to get to it. So 2015, The Final Girls. Uh, so check it out. So next week, we're going to be playing. Uh, we're getting back to normal blend games. Uh, we haven't played one that isn't Halloween themed in a really long time. So we're going to go right to the top of the Hollywood pyramid and play hashtag Jack Nicholson blend. Good luck, boys. <laughs> Have fun choosing your favorite Nicholson film. Uh, and you all get to play along at home by using the hashtag on social media, or you can send us your picks to realblend at cinemablend. It's, it's crazy how many people use the email now to send their picks in. It's really cool. After the show drops... I end up getting a, I started a bunch making of, fun of it for so long. emails into my inbox with people who are um, sending in their picks. So uh, you can also send us a review there. And uh, please do, because we want to hear from you guys. And this one comes from Shabby Shikshay, who says that Kevin needs to watch Lost. Longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, I link the podcast with Kevin Smith to friends more than once a week. That's pretty cool. They share my Kev our Kevin Smith one. Great podcast. Never ceases to amaze me how I take so much away from these podcasts, specifically how invested I became or become in the careers of those I have never heard of before. More often than not, my tastes line up with Jake. Kevin, please, please watch Lost. Sean, thank you for your perspective. I had never realized the joy it would bring to share my favorite films with my own kids. Keep up the good work and stay healthy. 
That is from Shabby Shik Shea. So thank you very much, sir or madam. I don't quite know, but thank you very much for the review. Uh, as we get ready for um, our premium episode, it's going to be a listener mailbag. So hopefully Love we're going to get to my favorite. Yeah, they are a lot of fun. Um, we're going to try to, again, get through as many of the questions as we can, because people have been sending in a bunch of them. We'll keep our answers relatively short, but we still like to tell personal stories. Um, if you want to subscribe to the premium episode, you can go to bit.ly backslash real blend premium. I believe it is, but it'll be in the notes where you are listening to the podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode and new interview, I would imagine. Uh, but in the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. We will talk to you guys soon. And until then, QB! <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.